Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Hello, and welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and has ever wondered about them. I'm Julie Sternberg, author of a number of children's books, including Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie and its sequels, and the Top Secret Diary of Celie Valentine series. And I'm Eve Yohalem. I'm also a children's book author. My books include The Truth According to Blue and Cast Off, The Strange Adventures of Petra de Winter and Brom Broen. In each episode of this podcast, we consider a book-related question. And in this episode, we consider how helpful are self-help books? Isn't this a fun episode? It is such a fun episode. I mean, it's a fun idea, but then of course, our guests are so much fun, like crazy fun. <laughs> it's been great. My recollection, we had this idea because you hate self-help and I'm intrigued by self-help. Yes. I thought, <laughs> let's let's live by self-help, live by at least one self-help book. We can talk about it. Um, it'll be fun. You could talk about whether or not you changed your mind. I can talk about whether or not I changed mine. And then I realized that, of course, I had stolen this idea from another podcast that I really like, By the Book. The hosts of By the Book have lived by more than 50 self-help books at this point. So we thought, well, like, what if they'll come on the show? So we invited them and they did. They said yes. I know. Unbelievable. But I just want to add a little context. I want to explain First of all, that although I hate self-help books, I really enjoy the Buy the Book podcast. I feel like I need to lead with that. I also want to explain why I hate self-help books. And the reason is I find that they fall into two categories. Either self-help books are telling me something I'm already doing, in which case I don't need them, or they're telling me something I'm not doing, in which case I feel like a failure and really bad about myself. So... <laughs> So it's not just, you know, an irrational hatred. I have reasons. Yeah, I understand. And remind me that you've made this point later when I talk about a self-help book that I love, because I'm going to challenge you on this. Ooh, I yes. shall. Okay. So let's talk about our hosts. Jolenta Greenberg and Kristen Meinzer are co-hosts of By the Book. The show's been featured in Time Magazine, The Washington Post, BuzzFeed, Bust, Stylist Magazine, Bustle, and many other publications, and on numerous NPR and CBC shows, including All Things Considered. Jolenta is a New York-based comedian, podcaster, and pop culture commentator. She's a Moth Story Slam winner, and from 2014 to 16, she held a comic residency at Pete's Candy Store in Brooklyn. Kristen is an award-winning host, commentator, speaker, producer, and author, specializing in contemporary social issues in popular culture. Her work has been celebrated in Time Magazine, Bust, Vice, O, The Oprah Magazine, The Guardian, The Evening Standard, Jezebel, Real Simple, IndieWire, and dozens of other publications. It's also been showcased on NPR's The Big Listen, NPR's All Things Considered, BuzzFeed News, and more. Together, Jolenta and Kristen wrote How to Be Fine, What We Learned from Living by the Rules of 50 Self-Help Books, which was published by William Morrow last year. We started by asking Kristen how they go about choosing the books that they live by. Here's what she said. We are very lucky that there are no shortage of self-help books in the world. There are, I don't know, a gazillion, to sound technical, and we have, over the years, kind of switched up how we 
selected them. So sometimes we choose a theme for a season. For example, the most recent season, we were living by books that were all about hearth and home. And then other seasons, we've just tried to do all the big heavy hitters where you see them on the New York Times bestseller list. They get nominated over and over again by our listeners. Sometimes we have themes for seasons that we don't technically announce as themes. For example, we had one season where we mostly lived by books that were not about looking inward, but about looking outward, doing community care instead of self-care, making the world a kinder, gentler, better, more just place. And those are always my favorite books. How did you choose the very first book that you lived by? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I mean, I guess we chose the very first book to live by, which was The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Uh-huh. Because I feel like for my generation, I'm an old millennial. It was like the quintessential viral self-help book. And it had always really piqued my interest. I'd seen the film. I had also wondered about like, do people know how ridiculous it actually is, even though we've all heard of it? So it just felt like the perfect place to start. All the celebrities were singing its praises. It's essentially like the power of positive thinking for our generation. Did it change your lives? I mean, Kristen moved traffic with her mind. I'm very (laughs) proud of that. Yeah, I I did. I did that with my brain. Because if you believe it, you can be it. Or if you uh, attract that thing to you, that thing will happen. And you know what I attracted to me? Hmm. No traffic. You know what? Especially if you live in L.A. or New York City, that's a big one. Exactly. (laughs) Right. No, I mean, it's a very problematic book, but it it was fun to experiment with it while also picking at it a little. (laughs) So I assume that before you start each book, you each have a guess about how useful you'll find it, particularly after all this time. Roughly how often does that guess prove right? (laughs) oh i would say like 10 percent of the time 20 percent of the time really oh we can get thrown off so much yeah i was gonna say kristen might disagree but i feel like a lot of the time one of the first things we'll say to each other when we get in studio is like this is not what i expected huh that's fun yeah 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 Yeah, yeah, it is (laughs) yeah and a lot of our listeners say like oh i can always predict who's gonna like which book but then I'm, I'm just going to say, I don't believe them. If they say they can always predict, because who would have thought that I would have liked Past Lives, Future Healing by Sylvia Brown, where we regress into our past lives, for example, or who would have guessed that I actually have some solid takeaways from how to write an ebook in less than seven to 14 days that will make you money forever, which is like probably the flimsiest book we've ever lived by. What was it, like 60 pages, Jolenta? Yeah, it was just a straight-up ebook where Kristen was like, this sounds ridiculous. The title doesn't even make sense. Yes. But uh, <laughs> not going to lie, great, great book that got us writing our own books. Okay, so if you were to go out right now looking to buy a self-help book just for yourself, not for your podcast, what factors would you look for? Well, Jolenta and I both many, many, many times brought this up on the podcast. So many self-help books are not structured in a way that you can follow them. And so I'm just going to speak for both of us for a second, Jolenta. Mm -hmm. I would say that Jolenta, you and I would like them to actually have structure and organization in some sense of those words. Totally, totally. I would say the first thing I would do is literally look at the layout of the book Mm -hmm. because... I think that can tell you a lot about a self-help book. Like, does it have actionable steps and like bullet points or does it just have like 
chapter headings that are interesting sentiments and like a story behind it. Cause those ones I find to be less actionable. Mm. And like Kristen also said, a sort of self-awareness of the author, cause I need to be able to like relate to the author. And a lot of them I find hard to relate to personally. Mm-hmm. You're getting at something that I, I want to ask about, which is, is there a particular kind of author that you think is better suited than others to write self-help? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to piggyback on what you were saying, Jolenta. In addition to that self-awareness, okay, I'm just going to give you one of my pet peeves for a second. A lot of self-help authors at the top of each chapter will have an inspirational quote from a different person each chapter to kind of illuminate what that chapter is about. And the vast majority of self-help books Jolenta and I read, all of those pull quotes are from white men. Mm-hmm. Just that alone. It's just like, come on. <laughs> I would like you to have a perspective that isn't just beyond yourself, but maybe one that's beyond your gender and race as well. Mm-hmm. Can we dive a little bit deeper into the question of diversity in this genre? Do we know anything about the demographics of readers and authors? And how do you think that plays out in the books generally? Yeah, there was one study conducted by Goodreads that found that two-thirds are men and two-thirds of the readers are women. So we do know that the industry is filled with men telling women what to do. And we also know that over 95% of authors who are published are white. So we know that it's overwhelmingly white and male and that the readers are mostly women. Have you seen any signs at all that that's changing? Well, there's definitely always going to be those celebrity self-help books, and celebrities tend to be where most publishing houses have their diversity because, you know, they think maybe a black woman is too much of a risk to publish. Oh, but what if the black woman is Shonda Rhimes? We'll publish her. Mm. So there's definitely diversity in terms of people of color who are celebrities, and we wish that that diversity extended beyond celebrities into other people who were wise or who are especially educated in a certain arena, that would be very nice too. We would love that. Mm -hmm. Right now, that diversity tends to stay in the arena of writing about how to approach diversity, yes, essentially, (laughs) and racism yes, and sexism. They're allowed to be experts in that field, but it's, we're not having people of color writing the same books as like Dan Harris about just like meditating. Right. So you mentioned a couple of books that you thought you'd hate and ended up loving. Have there been books that you thought you'd love but ended up not loving? Oh, yeah. <laughs> for me, for me, one of the first ones was just Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Because that, just growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, was a book I saw in so many homes and just sort of thought of it as like the adult book for relationships. Cool must help everyone. And then when I read it, it was like a raging sexist joke about how like men and women are different species and like women need to learn how to not nag and like men just need to learn how to pretend to listen. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And I just felt so let down. Yeah. Yeah. And that book is authored by somebody who claims to be a doctor. And we found that a lot in the self-help books we've read as well. There are a lot of people who are supposedly doctors or some other medical or scientific job title. And then you look at metaphysician. Yeah. It's like, what is a metaphysician? I have to say, after I listened to that episode, I wanted to hand the book to my husband and say, whatever you read in here, do exactly the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) 
I'm wondering whether y'all have learned any particular tips that have surprised you in their effectiveness. Mm. I have one, Kristen. A Simple Act of Gratitude was a book I didn't really like. I mean, the message is good about like staying grateful and how even when you're going through a hard time, thinking outside of yourself and giving to others and being grateful for what others give you can sort of pull you out of a slump. But it's all about this guy who's like, I was like a fancy money man and lost it all because I was a skis. And then I like learned how to say thank you and like started making money again. And like, yay. Like, it was just like, oh, wow. Like you learned how to write a thank you letter, like pat yourself on the back. But He talks about how when he was in a shitty apartment after his divorce with his daughter trying to like pretend it wasn't a crap hole, they would play the glad game where they would just list things they were glad for back and forth. And I was having a shitty day and I tried it with my husband and reluctantly it worked. Like it does just work, even though it's a stupid book and a stupid name for a game. (laughs) I really love that book. (laughs) And I love the glad game. And I'm so glad that we're all talking with each other today. And Jolent, I'm so glad that made a difference for you. I'm so glad. God, I have to tell you, my spirit just expanded just hearing you say that. Isn't that strange? Right? No, it's like true. Like I want to be annoyed with her, but I'm like, that was sweet and sincere. (laughs) Um, And so conversely, have any particular tips proved surprisingly ineffective? Well, I mean, sometimes like we often come up against this with just the concept of forgiveness, Mm. which like I know in theory is good for everyone. Like holding a grudge is like swallowing a poison and expecting the other person to die. (laughs) We came across this a lot in the four agreements where just one of the four agreements to live a good life is forgiveness. But it talks so much about like, if you feel like a victim, it's on you, even if you were helpless. I think to a damaging degree of just sort of perpetuating the same kind of, uh, systems that keep people down and people that keep people down as just sort of like saying it's a way of life and you have to forgive, you know? Yeah. And I also think that there's something validating and even liberating isn't the right word, but a relief sometimes to say, yeah, you you feel bad because you should feel bad. Something really terrible happened, you know, and just acknowledging that bad things make you feel bad. you know. Yeah. Like you don't need to hack a way out of it. Like it just means you're human. Right. Exactly. Not everything deserves to, you know, be turned around by a smile. Sometimes you just need to freaking wallow in the sadness because it sucks. And sometimes, you know, thinking more positively and looking at your own life isn't going to do enough to change things when, as you were saying, Jolenta, there are bigger systemic issues that are causing the sadness in the first place. Right. It's not enough just to look in the mirror and say a nice mantra when what's causing your sadness is, you know, systemic racism and inequality. I love that Kristen and Jolinta think about self-help experiences with a broader social and historical lens. They did a whole season where they lived by self-help books from earlier decades, and they had a professor named Trish Travis from the University of Florida who would come on and talk about how the books that Jolinta and Kristen had lived by reflected their particular times. I got so excited every time a Trish Travis episode came out. I loved learning that historical context. We asked Kristen and Jolinta which books they think reflect 
the time we're living in now. And one of the books they mentioned was Marie Kondo's Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which I've actually read. And it was, in fact, for me at least, life-changing. I read it when I was about to do a massive clean out of 20 years of accumulation of stuff in my apartment because I had to move out. And it was clarifying. You just look at each thing. Does it bring you joy? Yes, keep it. Does it not bring you joy? Get rid of it. I loved having such a simple guide. And then, of course, her packing techniques. You will never need more than one suitcase for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) And do you think that the book reflects our times? I do think the book reflects our times. I mean, first of all, I think so many of us have accumulated way more stuff than we need. And I do think, you know, we kind of fetishize home now. It's become having the perfect this and the perfect that. Right, right. And I'm reminded too of, I think, possibly my favorite self-help book of all time, which is a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World, which obviously as a creature of the times we're living in. Cal Newport is an associate professor of computer science at Georgetown, and he writes about how we can better focus, how we can sit and read and write and research and think and produce in an increasingly distracting world. You've actually adopted some of his techniques and it's made a change for you? Yeah. He has a whole system of how to manage your time in a more disciplined way so that you are aware of what you're doing when, and you've designated basically distraction-free zones of time. And if you violate the principles of those zones, then you're aware of what you're doing as opposed to simply living your life, which these days often means allowing yourself to follow all of these distractions that you don't even know how powerfully they're calling to you. You're not even aware that you're doing it. Yeah. You had me at distraction free. I I need this book. I think I may officially be a convert to to self-help books between Deep Work and Marie Kondo. I clearly, self-help books will change my life. Um, What was the point that you wanted me to address? You asked me earlier to remind you. Oh, yes. So you were saying that One objection that you had to self-help books is that either you're already doing what they're going to tell you to do, in which case you don't need it. But I have found that with books like Deep Work, even if you think you're already doing it, when you actually sit down and think about it in a structured way, the way that he proposes, you realize, you know what? I'm not doing that. Yeah, I can easily see that, that we're not spending our days the way we think we're spending our days. And writing it down and looking at it could be really illuminating. Yeah. Well, next we asked Jolenta and Kristen if a self-help skeptic were to come to you and say, all right, I'm just going to read one self-help book so I can say I've at least given the genre a chance, which one would you recommend? And this is what they said. I really enjoyed How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Really? Wow. Okay. (laughs) I was going to say, actually, it was like a good litmus test would either be How to Win Friends and Influence People or I think The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Mm -hmm. And why? Why those? I think because they're polarizing. I don't know. I think that's part of it. But I mean, I think How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the things I take away most from that book is to be the dog. So when you come home from work or school or running errands and you have a dog, 
How excited is your dog to see you every time you come home? Does your dog treat you like you matter? Of course, because that's what dogs do. And we can all be the dog more often. We can be the dog with our colleagues, with our partners, with our friends. We can show that great energy and love and excitement and our appreciation for them. And so many of us, especially with those who are closest to us, abandon that. It's like, oh, the closer we are to people, the more we're bitching at them and you know taking them for granted oftentimes. And some people would say like, oh, that's just because I'm being more genuine with my loved ones. And it's like, well, you can be genuine with them, but still be the dog. You know, right. sure, sure. My dad gave me that book when I was a kid. Am I the only one? Oh my gosh. Yeah. How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> no <laughs> way. That's so great. And I might be making this up, but in my memory, that's where I got the tip that when you're having a conversation with someone, you should always be asking them questions about yourself. That should be the driving motivation behind the conversation. Yeah. Yes. That's also in that book. Yes. Yeah, that totally works. Anyway. So Kristen, you've said that you came into this process far more skeptical than Jolenta of self-help books. Oh, yeah. Why is that? And has your estimation of the genre changed now that you've lived by dozens of them? Well, I went in skeptical because I really don't believe life is that simple. I think that life is much more complex than a 200-page paperback can fix. And I think a lot of my skepticism also came from my skepticism about a lot of the people who shill these books and write these books, and frankly, the ones who seem to be the greatest proselytizers of the books. And by that, I mean some of the people who you know, walk around saying, this is the only book you'll need. This is the book that'll change your life. A lot of the people who are doing that are not necessarily people I would turn to myself if I was looking for help. Mm -hmm. They seem to be in some cases, or at least this is how I used to perceive it. They used to strike me as oftentimes very naive, very desperate, maybe in a bad place, uh, maybe unwilling to go see a therapist. And a lot of those people, I just thought, why would I believe any of you? So I definitely went in with that prejudice against not just the books and the authors, but also the audience. And I've come to realize a lot of the people reading self-help books, it's not just a case of they refuse to go to therapy. A lot of them are going to therapy and their therapists are advising them, you know, read this book, read this book. A lot of them would like to see a therapist, but they can't afford to. And a lot of them are going through just a really tough spot with this one thing. And a self-help book helped them enormously with that one thing, whether it's you know, going through the processes of mourning the death of a loved one or of dealing with entering the next stage in life if they are sick or even just you know, getting the logistics down of what happens when you relocate to a new city. All of these folks who are seeking out self-help book for that one reason, they're not naive. I don't need to pity them. Right. I think also I look down on a lot of self-help readers because I had that same prejudice that I think a lot of America has. Like, what do you need help with? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I will fully admit that now that I'm not proud of having that prejudice, but I definitely had that. Mm -hmm. Jolenta, let me turn this around for you. What was your view of the genre coming in and has it changed? I guess, I mean... Mine was just so much more like pathetically <laughs> optimistic in a weird way. Like I am a skeptical, like angry person by nature, but I, for some reason, had this high hope, at least at the beginning, that there would be a book out there that would make me like feel more whole. 
mm-hmm. or just fix all the insecure areas in my life. And I thought I just like hadn't found it yet or like lived by it hard enough. But I can firmly say after doing this for so long, they're all hit or miss and they're all sort of like a buffet of like if something resonates with you and doesn't like make you feel like shit, but like makes your life a little better, go for it. So now that's more my approach is just like, I wonder if anything will stick or like, I kind of hope something will still, but I'm not waiting for like a cure all anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find yourself thinking, I never want to see another self-help book again, as long as I live? I would say yes for me until I crack open the next one we have to live by. And I'm like, what? This is bullshit. Or like, what? This is fascinating. (laughs) Like until I get into it a bit, but every moment until I start reading, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Frequently, I'm just like, oh, I can't deal with one more jerk telling me what to do. And then, of course, we'll get to the next book and it's Martha Stewart. And I'll think, I need to read eight more books by Martha Stewart because she's Martha Stewart. And then I'm happy. Kristen, you alluded to this a little bit. How has reading all of these self-help books affected your writing choices as you write about self-help and about podcasting? And I guess also, has it affected the book design decisions that you played a role in? I think it really helped me to not be so concerned with perfection with my writing. I used to be just a painful perfectionist in many, many different ways. And I have an MFA in fiction writing. And there were certain ideals I held about what great writing should be. And reading a lot of these books has taught me, you know what, the best books are the ones where the author seems to have a strong voice and be, you know, authentic, whatever that means in this day and age. And to me, the books I'm most drawn to are the ones that are now the way I write myself. I don't try to sound more high-minded than I am. I don't try to sound smarter than I am. And I think also making this show has made me a better writer. Jolenta is such an outstanding storyteller. If you are lucky enough to someday, you know, post-COVID, Stop it. see Jolenta on a stage and do her own storytelling, she is just so outstandingly talented, balancing out her own narrative with humor, knowing when to be self-effacing, knowing when to show rage, and balancing all of that out. And, you know, taking cues from Jolenta, I've become better at revealing myself in certain ways that I didn't used to feel comfortable revealing myself. And I feel more comfortable showing my anger in more nuanced ways than I used to. And I think all of that, you know, is a mix of working both on the show with Jolenta and reading these books. So I have to give credit to even the very worst books and the very best co-host on that. Oh, that's great. That's very nice. Well, and now I have another thing to look forward to when we can finally. Oh, we'll be there. We will be there. (laughs) Eve, I need to correct the record for a second. I misspoke earlier. No. Yes, I did. I made a mistake. (laughs) I said that How to Win Friends and Influence People gives the advice that when you're having a conversation with someone, you should always be asking them questions about yourself. That is not the (laughs) advice. That is a terrible idea. You need to be asking them questions about themselves. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. Maybe the reason I have so few friends is my confusion over what to ask. No, no, not at all. You ask many questions about me and I'm your friend and you rarely ask me questions about yourself. In fact, I think you never have. 
So, so don't even worry about that. <laughs> yes, I do think I had it straight in my head. And it has been a principle that I've remembered my whole life. Yeah. Well, speaking of principles we've remembered our whole lives, you know, one thing I've been reflecting on since we've been talking about this episode is this idea that you brought up with deep work of really looking at how we spend our time, because it reminded me of the other self-help book that has had a huge impact on my life, which is Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. It's a book that was recommended by friends. It sat on my night table for years. I resisted it. And finally, at a time in my life where I was thinking about making big changes in my life, I turned to it. And her basic idea is that everyone is a creative person. And the book is about sort of Getting in, getting in touch with that creativity sounds so granola, but it's about getting in touch with that creativity. <laughs> and it fits all of Kristen and Jolenta's criteria for an effective self-help book. You know, it's very clear and organized and structured, and it has exercises that are specific. And one of those exercises is to write down everything you do with your days and take a look at what are the things you're spending time on that are rewarding and what are the things you spend time on that aren't. And when I did that, I realized that 70% of what I spent my time on was not rewarding mm-hmm. and 30% was. Now, we all have to do things in our lives that are not rewarding, but Usually we can change that balance if we make a concerted effort. And I did. I actually Mm. ended up reversing it. And that's when I started writing in a serious way. Hmm. So um, I recommend that book wholeheartedly. Excellent advice. And I think that's it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Be sure to let us know if there's a book-related topic you've wondered about, and we'll try looking into it in a future episode. You can reach us for that reason or any other at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at bookdreamspod and on Instagram at bookdreamspodcast. You can find Jolenta at jolentagreenberg.com and Kristen at kristenmeinzer.com. Many thanks to our associate producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveyohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julie and me.